Hello, everyone, and welcome to Note to Scene, a music news podcast covering everything from pop punk to metalcore. I'm Matt Crane. I'm Tyler Sharp. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, where every week we discuss and debate all the biggest news stories in the music scene. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, where you should please rate and review us. Email us at notescene at gmail.com. We have so much to talk about this week. Big news from Fallout Boy and Attila. But first, we're going to talk about Escape the Fate. All right, let's go. How was your Halloween, Tyler Sharp? It was okay. I was actually in Chicago at a post-surgery appointment for my eye that I had a few weeks ago. Didn't feel like Halloween at all for me. What about you? Um, That doesn't sound like Halloween at all. (laughs) It wasn't at all. (laughs) Um, So I get a fuck ton of trick-or-treaters. So I spent Halloween giving out candy to an insane mob of children. Nice. How'd that go? Well, my friend came over to help me give out all the candy. And you know me. I like with stats and betting. I got to make it interesting <laughs> somehow, right? Yep. So we bet on what would be the most popular girl's costume. Oh. Um, and keep in mind, these are young girls. Um, and we, the reason you don't do um, boys' costume is because it's always ninja or assassin. It's like <laughs> nice. not even a fun bet. Right. So what do you think was the most popular girl's costume? Gosh. I have no, I don't even know like what the costume market was this year. I have, I'm so disconnected from Halloween. It's not even funny. So I picked Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. She picked uh, Moana. Okay. And um, there ended up being 11 Wonder Womans. So I ended up beating her out with the Moana pick, but there were also 11 bells to tie Wonder Woman. So. Yeah, so I had 11 Bells and 11 Wonder Womans. And so that I lost the bet because Wonder Woman technically wasn't <laughs> the most popular costume. It tied with Bell. So it just like negated the whole bet. Also did a side bet, like an over-under, because last year it was 90% Harley Quinns we got as wow, trick-or-treaters. Wow, yeah. And the, so I was like, how many repeat Harley Quinns will we get? And we'd set the over-under at 3.5. So... <laughs> If there, if there, I pick the over. If there were four Harley Quinns, I win. And I was like, there's got to be at, like at least four Harley Quinns this year because there were so many last year. Mm-hmm. And there were zero. Zero. So I was, was going to say, was there any? Yeah, the zero. So bad night for me for that. But Dark Horse costume was general, just like 80s person. Have you ever seen that before? Where somebody who does Halloween is an 80s person? Yeah, it was kind of popular around where where I grew up. Yeah, I saw a lot of that this year. It was like the Dark Horse popular costume. And I was like, I asked like one person, I was like, you're just like a general person from the 80s. And they're like, yeah, it's just a, it's a style. And that got me thinking, Tyler Sharp. Oh, God. Ten years, ten years down the road. This is a question. Mm-hmm. Do we see the scene boy <laughs> and scene girl as a viable Halloween costume? Straight up. I already I have friends that went to Halloween parties as like neon kids. <laughs> oh shit it's already happening man <laughs> i think that look you know like think like oh six scene girl you know Absolutely. or like scene boy with the dark hair dark pants dark shirt i had you a know, friend lip- who lip went, ring. yeah i had a friend who went like basically as a millionaire oh man that's great so it's already you're already seen it out there absolutely i mean this happened in chicago so it was still a yeah. major city but 
yeah, like this this is absolutely already happening. But I could see it on a more like a larger scale in a few years for sure. Right, like because you think like peak scene was out six, so we're like eleven years removed. So maybe by the time we're like twenty years removed, it'll be like a serious costume, just in the same way. 80s person is a costume today are those are those kids who live through emo like us gonna be dressing up their kids as pete wentz for halloween (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe interesting world man yeah that's crazy that's crazy i want to see that though i want to see people repping for the scene keep it alive through the costumes and uh, yeah scene scene girl that makes a great costume like lots of colors absolutely (laughs) okay (laughs) you know what i mean get like a bring me the horizon shirt oh my god pink hair we're so far down the hole matt we're so far down the hole (laughs) okay let's get into listener questions for this week um our first question comes in from listener Aaron D, who writes into notescenatgmail.com. Aaron says, Hi, guys. I listened to your podcast. It's very interesting. Thank you, Aaron. I wondered if you could quickly clear up the Taking Back Sunday brand new Jesse Lacey, Adam Lazara story that caused 70 times 7, and there is no IN team. So this is a... <laughs> quickly that's an interesting uh way to ask us to do this because this could be a whole podcast episode but, this could um, be a series <laughs> yeah i basically I, I went deep on this one i had to report it out for alternative press i wrote a story called um when your head goes through the windshield if you want to read like about the full beef but just to quickly sum it up how it all got started was um a lot of people don't know this but jesse lacy was in in taking back sunday originally mm-hmm. in the year 2000 he was playing uh base for them and this is you know i had to report this out my my sourcing was um not the most reliable but like i <laughs> what i was able to piece together um taking back sunday including jesse lacy were all at a house party and um john nolan allegedly allegedly i'm saying this heavily hooked up with jesse lacy's girlfriend at the party the accounts of what the hookup was ranged from like full blown to just a kiss, but whatever it was, it led to Jesse leaving Taking Back Sunday, and um, he was b- briefly in this band called The Rookie Lot. But after that, he formed Brand New. After he formed Brand New, obviously that's when we get Seventy Times Seven, which is his. Just that song is just a direct shot at John Nolan. It's a direct, you know, you're my fucking Judas song. And um, after Jesse left Taking Back Sunday, Adam Lazara joins to fill in on bass where Jesse was previously playing. And then Adam gets bumped up to vocalist and is like, fuck this shit, I'm not having it. <laughs> he strikes back, but there's no I team. So there's the short story of uh, how we got the infamous Long Island brand new Taking Back Sunday feud. If that party and- doesn't get thrown, does brand new even happen? It, right? Right? That's, <laughs> is, is that wow, what it comes you know? down to? If John no- it's interesting, too, because um, as this beef went on, eventually Adam started dating John Nolan's sister. <laughs> and um, Adam was allegedly unfaithful to John's sister. Mm-hmm. So John got pissed, took his sister, left Taking Back Sunday, and started Straight Light Run. <laughs> and then John Nolan reconciled with Jesse. And Jesse and John were friends. And um, I think they have been friends since. And then so then it was just Adam versus everybody, I guess, at one point. 
But um, yeah, no Stray Light Run doesn't happen. You know what I mean? That's a whole band and a whole thing and a whole one of my favorite songs ever came out of that. God, man, Stray Light Run. Here we are again. It was just a few weeks ago we were just talking about that album. How are people still talking about that band? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good band, man. <laughs> I guess, but uh, one of my favorite things that came out of the brand new Taking Back Sunday beef were were the merch that uh, got printed back and forth. So brand new printed a shirt that said microphones are for singing, not swinging to hit back at Adam Lazara because he loved to swing the microphone around from its cord while he was on stage singing. You look back, I'm sure I haven't seen recent videos of Taking Back Sunday, but I'm guessing he still does it from time to time, but he used to do it every chance he got. He was like a compulsive spitter the way he swung around his microphone. So I love that shirt and I just loved how deep the beef went. I don't even care that they were making so much money off of it. I thought that was uh, awesome. It went so deep. And, you know, 70 times 7 was Jesse's shot at at John Nolan. You know, right. it wasn't his shot at Adam. And I've always interpreted Tommy Gunn to be his big shot at Adam. Like, Ooh. he finally got it in on Adam. Because there's this line in Tommy Gunn where he says, you know, this is the way you wish your voice sounds. And maybe a year or two ago... Two ago Jesse was playing Tommy Gunn live, and when he got to that part where he does This Is The Way You Wish Your Voice Sounds, he made his voice all high-pitched, like Adam Lazara style, in this very <laughs> mocking way. And it was just everybody cracked up, and I, th- I took that as confirmation that, yeah, that line was that was about Adam, you know? Wow. I've never put that together, and I've never heard anyone yeah. mention that before either. Oh, yeah, for sure. But um, we could do this all day, Tom. <laughs> we could, man. Let's get the next listener question, which comes in from Ben. Ben says, all the talk about drugs, the band, got me looking into some of my favorite supergroups. What are your favorite, what is your favorite supergroup one and done album? Drugs, Isles and Glaciers, The Damn Things, something else entirely. You want to take this one away, T-Sharp? So I'll try and run through this pretty quick, but I do want to give a few honorable mentions before I get to mine. There's... There, because there are just so many bands that I grew up listening to, and, and, and the I question even... specifically is which uh, one and done album, right? Exactly, exactly. So before that, just want to shout out some super groups that I loved growing up. One was called Kicked Out Heel Drag. It had members of Further Seems Forever, Under Oath, Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, and Sleeping by the Riverside. They only oh, man. they only ever released three demos. And as of 2017, none of them are available online anymore. So there's literally nowhere you can listen to this band. But these three demos that they released, they weren't like anything outstanding or groundbreaking. They were just really good early 2000s emo, piano, rocky, kind of like pre the fray vibes. Just really good songs. And I'm super bummed that I didn't rip those songs down when I had the chance. Um... Another band was Neon Horse. It had members of Starflyer 59, Stave Saker, Project 86, and they were all kind of, they kind of stole the Gorillaz vibe, and they were cartoons, and nobody knew who all the members were, and we still don't know who was all involved in the project, but they released two albums on Tooth and Nail. It was just really bizarre 80s alt-rock, but me and my friends just got so excited about this band. These songs are some of the weirdest songs you'll ever hear in your entire life, but I'll still recommend them. Um, the supergroup one and done album that I want to shout out is by a band called War Generation, and they had uh, their vocalist was John Bunch, who actually passed away in 2016. 
but he was a member of Sensefield, Further Seems Forever, and Reason to Believe. Um, he sang on the Further Seems Forever album High Nothing. Are you Nothing. like a closet Further Seems Forever truther? Absolutely not, oh, but goodness. I know a lot about that band. Okay. I okay. actually don't like it at all. Like, I've never been a Further Seems Forever fan, but I just know a lot The about one album them. with Chris is good. I just, I can't get into it for whatever reason. But John was on, like, the last Further Seems Forever album of their initial run, which was called Hide Nothing. Um, also in War Generation, it was John and Brad Lehman. And Brad is a member of Maylene and the Sun of Disaster. He plays bass in there. And this just instantly caught my mind in 2013 when this band got announced. They signed to Rise Records. They put out one album. It's just really great, like Americana rock with this really heavy punk edge. And I would like recommend it for fans of the Gaslight Anthem and the Menzingers. Um, some tracks you should go check out are Done and Done, Nobody, and Hardcore Love. But the the album's called Start Somewhere never surrender it's on spotify and um apple music and all the streaming services because of rise but i was super bummed that we didn't get more from this band but i'm glad that we got this album because it's really cool and it just sees two completely different worlds colliding and i'm the biggest maylene in the sun of disaster fan probably ever so this was really cool for me um for me ben you nailed it you called it on the first one it's the drugs album i mean (laughs) nothing really touches that album to me that was the holy grail i was excited to see craig owens sort of having this army built around him you know pete wentz had taken him under his wing he was signed to a major label the band were getting a huge push and it was a super group we had members of metric romance members of undermined members from from first to last and, you know, I was a big From First Last fan and just getting to see Matt Good be a part of something big again was so exciting um, because From First Last had really fallen off, like thrown to the wolves, tanked, you know, self-titled <laughs> tanked before that. They got dropped from their major label. The band was basically over at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, they really weren't a band anymore. And um, it was just cool to see Matt, you know, Matt had like hit Craig up on Twitter. He had uh, he DM'd Craig on Twitter and was like, yo, if you need a guitarist, hit me up. And Craig was like, are you kidding me, man? Like, you're in the band. All right. You know what I mean? Craig was like, it's not a question because I guess um, for inspiration, Nick Martin and Craig had been listening to heroin. Um, oh, so, man. Yeah, man. It was just like the, for me as a first last fan and a Chiodos fan. Sure. Drugs was the coolest thing. And, you know, John Feldman helped it be executed in a way that that album is timeless and a classic and a complete banger shout out to pete wentz too absolutely pete you know bringing bringing the families together we thank ben and aaron for writing in to note scene at jimbo.com this week if you have any questions feel free to send them that way but we got to move on tyler to our main story this week which is escape the fate they <laughs> announced their sixth album i am human and released the lead single empire and uh I got to say something real quick, Tyler. <laughs> you just go for it, man. I'm going to okay. let you have it. I'm going to let you have it. There's five people in Escape the Fate, right? Yeah. Um, if you yeah. count their member, yeah. There's right. five musicians in that band. Mm-hmm. There's a publicist. Mm-hmm. There's a manager. Mm-hmm. There's at least two people at the label, A&R, working, <laughs> yeah. right? There's a tour manager. Yep. Maybe two family members. So we're up to 12 people right now. There were 12 people who listened to this song 
and thought it was a good idea <laughs> to put it. And if you're wondering why 2017 is so weird and why the world is so fucked up, I think that this is a pretty good analogy for why. 12 people heard this this song and thought it was a good move for the band. And I'm just blown away that 12 people said, yes, this is good. Let's put this out. Oh, man. I I didn't even know what to think the first time I heard it. I should have expected it. I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I got excited for New Escape you, the Fate. You actually got excited. I mean, th- there wasn't a part of you that, like a very minuscule part of you deep down in the depths of your soul that thought Escape the Fate could do something. Not after the last one. After Hate Me, I knew it was it was um it was it was broken beyond repair. <laughs> I had no excitement this time. I'm I'm a little envious that you actually got to feel a little I, bit of something. I mean, it was a very very small something. I was this was not like but one of my most anticipated just, releases. It was at exactly all. as bad as you thought it was going to be, and it was exactly as it was bad in the way we thought it was going to be. Like <laughs> it was exactly as bad as we knew. Ugh. This song is just the most worst cock rock party just douchebag imagine dragons trying motherfuckers i i like you just said i don't understand how this song got green lighted and the fact that you know thrasher is on facebook releasing a statement as soon as they drop the song already bracing for the impact of the backlash what happened man how did we get here there was backlash because I mean, do we, does anybody care enough at this point to do backlash? Yo, so <laughs> they're on Better Noise Records right now. I saw that, which is like a sub label under Eleven Seven. So they're not even on the flagship. Eleven Seven's a shit label to begin with, right. and now they're they're on the sub label of Eleven Seven. Mm-hmm. What's going on with that? <laughs> this band just won't die. I mean, the they... album. Well, the so the last album obviously tanked. So they were downgraded to the smaller label, is what I'm thinking. How can Escape the Fate get downgraded any more than they already are? I mean, the, well, the, their last album did really bad. So it makes sense for the, for Eleven Seven to move them to where they put their smaller bands. I can't believe they kept them within their reach. Like, Escape the Fate should have had to crowdfund this album. <laughs> um, I'm at a four and a half out of ten on the song. Where are you at? A three. <laughs> I was I, I'm not even gonna lie I was checking around your Radke's Twitter all day when so it came was out because so you know he heard I. it you I know, know he heard it and you know he knew it was trash and I just wanted him to just be I just wanted him to blow up the spot and be like fuck it you know like I know I, the beef's all finished but I just wanted him to say his piece I know man it's hilarious when hate me was coming out he was beefing with money money right. <laughs> and it's like ne- <laughs> neither of them are in the band anymore <laughs> And they're beefing over Escape the Fate still. But yeah, I was watching his Twitter too. I was hoping he would just say something. It really does come down to the question of like, what happened to this band? Because they were one of the biggest scene bands. Absolutely. At a point. They were massive. So, I mean, Dying is Related Fashion, that album, obviously, it sold over 250,000 copies. It put them on the map. It was Ronnie's debut to the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made them famous. It made them huge. All the drama goes down with Ronnie and Craig enters the band and they put out This War Is Ours. And at that moment, it was just like, even though all the drama was happening, it didn't seem to be hurting the band. It just kept them at the center of the conversation. And 
the music was good. People, you know, old school Ronnie loyalists would talk trash about it, but a lot of people really liked this War is Ours as an album, and it, it did well. It sold 13,000 copies first week, which that was uh, that was huge for them at the time. And it was just like a really fun time to be an Escape the Fate fan during that whole cycle, which it was. I know it was only a couple of years, 08, 09, whatever, but it really it just felt like forever. Absolutely. It was definitely fun. And the drama absolutely helped. You know, the fact that your ex vocalist is in jail, still calling you out. (laughs) Maybe he has a band, maybe he doesn't. And you have this new album coming out produced by John Feldman and the big comeback and all the hype was just so real. But I think that album gets more credit than it deserves. I do like a lot of songs on that album. And I think it's totally passable. But I think it gets way more credit than it deserves. There's a lot of bad moments on that album. My favorites are like Ashley, 10 Miles Wide, and the title track. And that's really about it. The the highs are not super high, but it's a front to backer for me. Like I enjoy every song on that album in some way. Not at all for me. I I can Um, tolerate like about half of it. I can enjoy pretty much every song on the album. Um, and just like songs like The Flood and This War Is Ours. The were Flood so is fun. a good song too. Yeah. They totally. were so fun. You know, like just like it was a the time when the band were writing good songs and the music was fun along with everything else going around. What was the music video? I'm drawing a blank here. What's the music video where Craig licks the microphone? Oh, the classic Mike Lick. Yeah, that's for the flood. They, okay. they shot that in like a a trailer, like a like a semi truck, the back of a semi truck trailer, and they had a hose for fake rain. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was a good video. It was fun. Craig's leg was broken, so he couldn't move. But um, oh really? I didn't know, know that. The drugs hadn't quite gotten to Max yet, so he was still a pretty exciting, movable, energetic guy in the video, mm-hmm. and um. For me, and I know you are too, but I was a massive Bless the Fall Craig era fan. Mm -hmm. And I thought his last walk was just like, it it helped me survive Neon. That album. Right. Right. Thank God that was going out at the same time. (laughs) Right. Right. And I enjoyed the beginning in Neon. I'll totally admit that. But that album gave me like a heavy outlet besides Devil Wears Prada. That album was very like proto Amorosa, proto A Skylight Drive. Like it gave us something before all that sort of electronic shit happened. Absolutely. But his last walk gave us like a a metalcore beacon to hold on to amongst the sea of fucking neon sunshine. Totally. So it was crazy for me to see Craig go from, you know, because at the time I was just like a youth group, solid state to the nail kid. So I was wondering what Craig's next move was going to be. And then I found out he was going to the the crazy druggy jailed band Escape the Fate. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, he did it. He did. Well, he did the word alive first before that. And I mean, that was right. fucking that was a huge that blew up overnight. And uh, and he was going to do that. And um, I think he was even he was going to sing for a Skylet Drive at one point. Um, he filled he in one on of the tour. Mi- yep. He was one of the many people who auditioned for that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> shout out to Johnny Craig. Absolutely. JC, JC Christ. But um, he was going to do the word alive. But then the Escape the Faith thing kind of clicked and he tried to do the whole two band thing. But then the word alive mutinied on him and got Tully <laughs> Smith and the rest is history. <laughs> But um, it just, it really, I don't know. What do you think of the major label album for Interscope? I didn't like it at all. 
the mm-hmm. was it massacre that ripped off chelsea smile yeah that was the lead i i couldn't even the second that song starts you you just mm-hmm. know it's ripping off chelsea smile and i was like fuck yeah. this i'm gonna go listen to suicide season <laughs> See, I enjoy it, but in a more shallower way than This War Is Ours. Like, This War Is Ours, I got, like, some emotion out of. I enjoyed the self-titled Escape the Fate album as just, like, a, a rock sort of experience. It, it's very shallow. But where, where everything really started to fall apart for me was Ungrateful, which is the first one they put out on 11.7, which is the radio rock label they joined that I think has ultimately ruined their career. Um, you just got songs like You're Insane and One for the Money. They're just it's just cock rock turned all the way up. And it was just like that was where it turned, you know, um, mm-hmm. the first week sales. The self-titled for Interscope, which was their major label debut, did 18,000 first week. Like that was a big deal for them. And then when Ungrateful comes out, it only does 13,000 first week. Already dropping yeah. at that point because that music just wasn't there. And like yeah. my buddy and I going back to self-titled for a second when that album came out we would just sit there and listen to it make fun of we count every moment there was a glitch especially in Mm -hmm. massacre like a glitch vocal or a glitch guitar riff it's like Mm -hmm. when they went in to record that album they it's like they heard a glitch for the first time in a track because i remember glitch core was going to be the next thing for sure (laughs) (laughs) massacre is one of the most ridiculous glitch tracks i've ever heard because i was in a band at that time and we were doing the same thing with our songs so it was just like oh wow we really gotta stop doing this man (laughs) (laughs) we were it's getting obvious yeah this is ridiculous yeah that escape the fate self-titled totally tipped it it over for the scene i would say that album though still proof of how big they were i mean interscope sure you know what i mean they got the full fucking push they did the giant green screen music video for issues and everything and it's interesting they went arguably the most metalcore they had in their entire career for their major label debut yeah like across of like new metal and rock radio rock and um, i'd say that's the heaviest album Mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah probably you would think um but they had the good mix of uh radio friendly singles is what balanced it out they had a good sure you know you've got like gorgeous nightmare and issues on there which were able to be played at hockey games hate me was just a terrible album the the last one to come out so bad only did eight thousand first week it's basically (laughs) what ended their career for me that one kind of sealed the deal how did they get on that i prevail tour man you know what i think is like i think i really think like max green was the spirit of this band in a sense Mm -hmm. like he was the last real rock star in this band he brought that old dying's latest fashion spirit to this band and i think him leaving or being kicked out was inevitable with all of his drug issues and it had to happen but when he once max was gone it's just like the spirit was sort of sucked out and they were never the same band again and another thing i think is like i just don't think craig you look at this war is ours and how well some of those songs are written and you look at all of their albums like since they've lost the monty brothers and everything and right since the, they've lost personnel it's like i just don't think craig is a good songwriter you yeah, know not he's a all. great lyricist you know he's a great vocalist but i don't think he knows anything about writing songs like i think even back to bless the fall and his last walk that was just like frisbee and eric writing really good songs and craig just laying vocals over it like i i don't think craig is a good songwriter and i think we're really seeing that in their new material well we totally saw it with the dead rabbits yeah 
Absolutely. Like there was no backing besides Craig in that band as far as songwriting goes. And that that project never took off because those songs have been shit from day one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that you want to talk about bad side projects? Let's talk about the Dead Rabbits. That's I know just it, sad, it was man. so promised to like another word alive. You know, like if we were going to get Casanova Rodeo stuff again, I was all in. You know, but I, it everyone just, uh, was. But it, it was no. garbage, man. It was so bad. And then they they put out an album this year, and we talked about it on the show. And we did. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it on the show when uh, Craig did an interview with AP, I think it was, and he said the new album was going to be reflective of the political climate. And <laughs> oh we were God. all like, well, that's not what we want from Escape the Fate. You know, we <laughs> that's not what we want at all. And it's like, we can't win with this band. Because even when they say they do something, <laughs> and they do the exact opposite and release this just cock rock song, it's garbage either way. The, the one the thing... key is they need to make emo again. Post-hardcore no. emo. It'll, that was their sweet spot. It'll never happen without those members. Like you said, Craig can't no. write songs. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's what they need to do. Sure. Craig's not good at music. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> he's, he's a great singer. Sure. He's a great lyricist. He's sure. just is not a good songwriter. He can't write music. Um, real quick before we move on, did the fact that the song was called Empire have any impression on you before you listened to the song? No. Should I have? Well, so when I first saw that the song was called Empire, the word alive EP instantly flashed in front oh, of my eyes. There it is. And I heard Battle Royale playing in the distance. And I was like, is this going to be a thing? Like, is is this really happening right now? I figured it was like a call out track to the word alive. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, no, he was pissed when when they did that to him. He um, when the word alive kicked him out, I mean, he leaked all their unreleased music and um, he was like, fuck those guys. I mean, they eventually patched it up. But I, I just like Telly and Craig. I don't believe it. You know, I, they they play nice, but I don't think they really I don't think Craig really likes Telly. If you know um, those dudes yeah, behind the scene, like yeah. how they are behind the scene. It just... I mean, Craig, Craig, I mean, he, he made that band and they Telly stole it from him. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a snake. It's it's tough not to hate that. But dude, what like what's up with the I set my friends on fire <laughs> reference in this song? <laughs> like it just at that what? point, I couldn't even. It, that's the only well, response I had. I mean, we we had Fallout Boy doing "Oops, I Did It Again," but like that was twenty years ago, Holmes. You know what I mean? This is like it's a little early to be calling out, you know, to be referencing. I set my friends on fire. Well, we, I didn't we got... know. I didn't know if they if he was referencing the band or if he was referencing the Aiden song. But either way, like why? I hope he, first. I hope it was the band and, and and not the Aiden song. Oh my god! <laughs> but um, we gotta we gotta move on. All right. Man. Uh, our next story is Attila, who released a new single called Three Six. Have you heard the song yet, Tyler? I have, and at least it's heavy. That's really all I've got for this song, because people are just over the fact that Franz keeps dropping songs where he says, go ahead and hate me, I don't care. This is what we've got from Attila for the last, like, three years. And the last album tanked. It was really bad musically. Didn't sell. Sharptone couldn't push it. They put this song out. And sonically, it is slightly reminiscent of the Rage Outlaw about that life eras. But thematically, it just doesn't feel like Attila matter anymore. Because mm -hmm. they keep rehashing their same formula over and over again. 
I'm at around like a six, six and a half. Six out of ten? Yes, between six a six and a six okay. and a half. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not thinking about the broader conversation around Attila and their sort of state in the scene, just thinking about the song. I actually like enjoy it. Like I, I do, like just like you said, I get a very throwback to the rage right. era. I really love Franz's high screams on this Sure. One. Like, it took me back. I mean, like, to win this band, they used to just be a party metal band. Mm -hmm. And people backed them. Like, other bands loved Attila. Like, back when Franz, before he dyed his hair dark and went all crazy (laughs) and before about that life, like, people (laughs) fucked with Attila. You know, like, prominent bands hung out with them and loved them as dudes. And, like, they were just the party metal band on Warped Tour. You know, that was kind of their role. And um, this took me back to that rage period where, you know, they they weren't hated. But Attila ultimately for better or worse, reached their peak fame level when they were at their most antagonistic, you know, doing their most sort of offensive stuff, like saying the F word in a song, not the F, not fuck, the other F word, um, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the slur for homosexuals. Because when you look at it, about that life, which was when they really ratcheted up the fucking sleaze, that did 14,000 <laughs> first week. Mm-hmm. That's huge for a metal for like a metalcore deathcore band like them. That's huge. And then Guilty Pleasure, following that, does eighteen thousand first week, which is massive. And I remember we premiered the lead single "Proving Grounds" on Alternative <laughs> Press, we and did. it was fucking it lit our website up like a Christmas tree. Like the band were, and that was right when he was feuding with Buddy of Senses Fail, you know. And at their most controversial, they were lighting our website up like a Christmas tree, and everybody was talking about Attila. And they mattered so much, even though they made everyone so angry. In the Rage and the Outlaw era, it was so cool to like this band. They were a very cool band to like. Like all the all the popular kids that were in the scene liked that. I, it band. sounds crazy today, people, but I swear to God, it used to be like this. Like before Franz went totally apeshit, there was a time when Attila were like respected. It was just such a different time, and you totally nailed it. About That Life changed it all, but About That Life still felt fresh because we hadn't gotten this same formula from Franz rehashed over and over the course of like the past three album cycles. Well, that I, was the thing, is About That Life was... It, it really pissed you off when you listened to it, but it was catchy as fuck, and it was a really fun listen. Absolutely. Do you remember the night that Call Out leaked? I do. I remember... I got, I got an advanced copy oh, of the album. You? Okay. Yeah, I had the full advance, I think, before that, so... Yeah, so I didn't I didn't get the advance. I was just writing for some blog at that point, but I remember the night that Call Out leaked, and even it even reached the Defend Pop Punk group and set it off. Like, <laughs> because he calls out Ronnie Radke, Christopher Drew. He calls out the entire scene... I kept saying on this last album cycle, you know, when they signed a sharp tone and I'm like, you know, what is Attila going to do to change things up? Write call out part two and call out everyone in the scene all over again. I don't understand why this song wasn't that. If you want to rebound off of fucking Mosh Pit, that just terrible song off this last album that they've been pushing, that's what you do. And it has just gotten to the point where Attila is so redundant and so everything they do is so expected at this point. And this song sonically was cool. It's heavy. And you're right. Like, it's cool to see Franz doing his range again, because Mm -hmm. at the beginning, when you the first time you heard Attila, you're like, holy shit, there is no other band that sounds like this. This guy is insane. And now it's just like, yes, Attila are somehow still here. Yeah. And I guess this this is all I really want from Attila at this point, because to me, their career 
is just kind of over. The last album tanked. It's not selling. I don't see them rebounding. No, so if not they're at all. if they can just give us cool sonics like this, I'm down with it. You know, I'm at about a six point eight out of ten on the song. But um, we had to move on to our next story, Tyler, which is Fall Out Boy, who performed a new song live. The song is called Expensive Mistakes. What did you think of this one, Tyler? I know it's hard, you know, when bands <laughs> debut songs live, it's hard. We really, we got to pay attention close to get our impressions and we don't want to be too early on something. But uh, what did you think? I really hope it was just the video, but I thought this song was pretty bad. Oh, like, no. That lead riff got so annoying by the end of the song. And like I said, I hope it was just the video quality, but I looked around and I tried to find better quality videos and different angles and stuff like that. And nothing really saved it for me. The hook is just bad. Like that, there's it's, no uh... substance there for me. And the key lyric in the song, I'll stop wearing black when they make a darker color. It's so like hot topic novelty t-shirt Dude, to me. I back that lyric. That is a. Uh, I think it's it's going in the Hall of Fame Fall Out Boy lyrics. No way, Absolutely. dude! It is way too cheese. That is amazing. Everyone that says that. Everyone really? says that. I have never heard anyone say that. There are signs in Hot Topic that say that. There are not signs in Hot Topic. Dude, absolutely. When's the no. last time you were in Hot Topic? Uh, three months ago. Let's <laughs> go. I like to just go just to go. Okay, same, I gotta same, like keep same. the you know the blood flowing. Um, <laughs> this, you know, I gotta keep the scene spirit alive Good. a little bit. No, but I'm um, glad. I'm glad. So it's a different. This song is a different direction than Mania. Which, by the way, the Mania tour is happening still. Like, that's a fucking thing, <laughs> even though the album has been, been scrapped. But yeah, it's like, this is like a bouncy ballad, like America's Sweetheart or something, kind of. You know, it's not like the different stuff we were getting off the early Mania tracks. Um, it's a fitting title, you know, Expensive Mistakes, because... That's what Mania you know, is right now. <laughs> that's what this band is, you know? Shouts to Island Records. Like, you guys right. really fucked this release up i mean the album's essentially scrapped and they're out here touring doing whatever debuting new songs but um i i I back that lyric tyler i'll stop wearing black when they make a darker color i back it hard i just think it's way too common for fallout boy like that's a common adage yeah you almost get a sense like maybe they're they're chasing that american dragons thunder um not american dragons um imagine imagine Uh, fuck it from now on we're calling them american dragons american dragons thunder i feel like they're chasing that thunder hype a little bit with this one like the you know the whole rock is back thing you know we got portugal the man on the charts we got you know imagine dragon on the charts we got greta happening don't don't compare greta to that shit man but it's just they're all looped into this like hey rock rock music again on the charts what's happening It's just, it, it, dude, it's the thing. It's happening. I know it's happening, and and that like like we just like I just said about this Escape the Fate song. I can't believe that bands are going in this direction. Why is the world allowing Imagine Dragons to ruin music? <laughs> I know it's. <laughs> why it's not why fair, is man. this happening? It is not. So I'm we, wondering if maybe we do this deserve song, this. I'm wondering if you know the Mania EDM experiment they were doing was scrapped and. They see a band like Imagine Dragons in the top 10. So they're going to write a more traditional rock song like this. I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of what we're seeing here. I'm fine with traditional rock songs, but give me a hook, man. This was just, I, I, I need to hear the song. 
I, I'll, yeah. I'll say I'll just say that I need to hear the recorded version of the song to make my final verdict. But from what I saw in this fan recorded live videos that I watched, the spark is not there, man. And uh, have you you know, we talked about on the show, will they keep calling it mania? They launched a website today called www.ismaniadoneyet.com. The album's still going to be called Mania. So this era is cemented now. So Pete went back on his word again. Okay. That's like three times now. So we're stick. We were dropping Mania. Now we're sticking with Mania. Um, why don't you just change the fucking band name at this point? Like, who cares? Like, <laughs> fucking do Soul Punk again. Peace Dumb Solo. I don't care. Shut up, man. We, there, but, um, it's Fallout Boy. We can still salvage something here, but we've given them some extra time. I need Mania, way more than this song. Mania, Mania needs to be buried and forgotten. I agree. They need to go away and start over. It's just this is such a mess. This tour is still happening. Are people going to this tour? Like, did Did you see the crowd, man? I mean, they're playing. And I, I saw people, yeah. I mean, it, was, it looked pretty packed to me. Like, what is... Th- what makes you go i want to go see fallout boy in 2017 what's the what's the hook you know like if if you just saw them on the abas cycle what what grabs you here i think they just have that much of a fan base to where it's like hell yeah i'll go see them play sugar we're going down oh man like yeah. i if I if mean, someone offered i guess me I, a I guess ride, i did that i did that too much as a teenager already so i i mean they they're playing to a really young demographic still their audience has grown up sure but you and i aren't actively going to fallout boy shows but kids younger than us are so i think yeah. that's where they're managing to hang on because they've evolved their sound so much and the yeah. new generation caught on to save rock and roll american beauty and now mania so i think that's yeah. where their ticket sales are coming from i just yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on the save rock and roll in American Beauty, but I, I, I'm yet to see a generation catch on to Mania. Oh, no. The yeah. numbers just aren't there. You right, know? not at all. But I'm just saying, as a Fallout Boy era. You think people are like bullish on Mania? Like, are pe- people are in on it? I see it. If you go through and you do a little poking around in the Fallout Boy yeah. world on Twitter, Mania is in kids' bios. They're in their names. The, the wave emojis there. Everything's purple still. I just think Fallout Boy are. I think they will drop here in stamina unless they release an actual banger of a song, but they're just kind of at that legacy point where it's just always going to matter to a large amount of people because that's just their fan base. Yeah. It's very weird. It's it's you wonder why that's not reflected in any of the streaming numbers, any of the sales numbers, you know, I mean, the labels were a spot. Like you would think, Island Records would be like, oh my god, look how engaged your fans are. This is great. Mania, full steam ahead. But, it, you know, we, we covered this. Um, we did a whole episode actually covering just the disaster of this album, this rollout. And um, I mean, it pretty it, much went as bad as an album rollout can go. Absolutely. And the hype yeah, that it, I'm referencing is in a vacuum. It's in it's the Fallout Boy the core, Right. The core, it, yeah. Exactly. There's not a conversation outside of Fallout Boy's yeah, core fan base. That's what that's it the is. Problem. There's they're not in the conversation right now at all. Right. And they really were when they came back with uh Save Rock and Roll. And they were in the conversation again with fucking Uma Thurman and all that. So um let's move on to our pop story this week, which is uh Taylor Swift. She released her fourth single from Reputation. It's called Call It What You Want. I gotta say, this song is very interesting to me because 
it started very promising. Mm-hmm. It was like very vibey and somber mm-hmm. and like emo, dare I say. Like it was almost a Lord truck at the beginning oh. in that first verse. And I got like a very dark pop vibe, which everybody's got to take a shot now because that's the no scene drinking game. <laughs> take a shot every time one of us says dark pop. But um, the verses are almost like they're very tennis court relating to Lord. And I just thought that first verse was great. And um, some of these lyrics she has though we go back to the pettiness of taylor she says um mm-hmm. my castle crumble crumbled overnight i brought a knife to a gunfight they took the crown but it's all right and i mean i think this is obviously talking about her fighting kim and kanye and um it's just like does she really believe her castle crumbled like she i know she lost that fight but does taylor swift really think she took that big of an l here it just doesn't seem like her general fan base cares that much that she got owned by Kim Kardashian on Snapchat. I don't understand why she keeps punching down. Like, it's not always about you, Taylor. Yes, you are arguably the biggest pop star in the world, but you can't keep rehashing the same formula. And it's interesting. (laughs) I was doing my notes and I was bouncing back between Attila and Taylor Swift and (laughs) thematically... Thematically here, we have Franz continually referencing the haters and just refusing to move on from that formula of, oh, I don't care, but I'm that's all I'm going to talk about. Taylor's kind of in the same boat there, you know? Yeah. She's going to shake it off, but here we are two years later still talking about the same shit. Back to the beginning of this song. She also says, um, all the liars are calling me one in one of the verses, and I think that's the obvious shot at katie and nikki um because she even has a line in the next verse that says all the drama queens taking swings mm-hmm. i think this is an obvious swish swish call out you know she's <laughs> refer- she's referencing katie perry and nikki minaj here sure i think overall and again it's just it's still taylor doing that and but what was weird was i enjoyed sort of the somber emo-ness of it all but then you get to this point when the chorus kicks in and the song kind of gets bad. That's the problem with this song. And at the beginning, I felt the exact same way sonically that you did. It builds, it builds, it builds, and you think it's going somewhere. And then the chorus hits for the first time and you think it's the pre-chorus. I thought they were actually going to drop into a Chainsmokers EDM chorus and I was all Mm -hmm. about it, but it drops into nothing. And we go back straight into the second verse. Where's the hook? Yeah, it's, and even lyrically, it's very braggy about her new, like, we go from all this, her reflecting somberly on the haters and how she got washed, and then it gets very braggy about her new boyfriend in the chorus, but, like, not in a cute way, just, you know what I mean? It's just sort of a, like, okay, good for you kind of way. Right, Um, yeah. Another line she says, which I wasn't sure who she was referencing, but it's another call out. She says, Joker's dressing up as kings. Um, and then she says, they fade to nothing when I look at him, referring to her new boyfriend. Who do you think she's referring to there? This has got to be a guy, right? <laughs> who fucking knows, man? Jared Leto? I don't know. My, my thought was Kanye, because she says, <laughs> Joker's dressing up like kings. She says, they fade Fade was a recent Kanye song that came out. Uh-huh. They fade to nothing. And that was a Kanye song that didn't really do well. So I thought she was probably calling out Kanye there. The song was just laced with call outs. I mean, she's just a surgeon with a scalpel, just 
every chance she gets now in her songs. I don't understand why we have to go this way. I still love those first two singles, and I loved yeah. Look What You Made Me Do. I loved that the Poptimism era was over. But if yeah. just because you go dark doesn't mean you have to punch down. I can't stand that that's where we're at thematically with Taylor Swift in 2017. She's yeah. fighting a battle that was over years ago. There's right. no reason to bring any of this up. She's the biggest pop star in the world. She could take on things so much bigger than this. And she's just sitting in her own little bubble. I, I don't um, understand why we're still here. When I divorce myself from the lyrics, though, I I really I enjoy this song. I Just Even the vibe of it. the chorus? I really am able to sort of get over the chorus. These, I think these verses are just so good. They just put me in such a good mood and a good vibe. And um, I just, I like hearing somber Taylor, despite the lyrical content. And maybe it's just because there's so many similarities to this song in Tennis Court, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed it. I'm at like a 7.3 out of 10. I th- I think, What's your score? I think... It's too low-key to be a single. I think this should have been a deep cut. I'm at a six. Okay. Um, let's move on real quick, Tyler, before we go. Black Veil Brides dropped a new single. It's the second from Veil. It's called When They Call My Name. What do you think of it? The world did not need another shitty BBB ballad. It's like I listened to the song and I had to ask, did they even try? <laughs> the intro to the song leaves the rest of it up to interpretation. You're kind of thinking it's going in this one cliche BBB route, but it goes in a completely other. And the chorus hits and you're just like, why did I even think it was going anywhere else? This doesn't even have 200,000 views on YouTube. We're recording Sunday night. It dropped almost a yeah. week ago at this point. It is 73,000 Spotify plays. People aren't writing for it. Song shit. I'm at a four and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm at a four out of 10. I think it's terrible. Um, I just, I, it, it's better than the last single production wise, at least. It actually mm. sounds competently produced. But um, mm. as far as a song goes, it, it, it's not um, good. That last, um, <laughs> you just, <laughs> this, is, Agreed. this is what you call a bad song. Agreed. But um, uh, yeah, I was at least, I don't know, because Feldman produced this. So like at least I'm hearing clear melodies and stuff on this one. Whereas that last song, The Vow, oh, I just, I don't even know what was going on there production wise. Uh, before we go, just going to quickly shout out, I Set My Friends on Fire are doing a 10 year tour for You Can't Spell Slaughter Without yo, Laughter. Yo, the boys, the boys. Absolutely. Shouts to the Cavalry Kids all day. Shouts to Crank That. Shouts to Soldier Boy. Shouts to 2008. Shouts to Things That Rhymed With Orange all the way. The synths on that song. Shouts, mad props, mad props. All right. That is it for the show (laughs) this week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, you can write into us at notetoseen at gmail.com. Please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars and we will love you. All right. Thank you. See you next week.